Hey, what's up, Blondheads? George Martirano is our guest for this episode of the Philly Blunt. In the 1970s and early 80s, George was selling marijuana in the Philly area. Some reports say that he was moving upwards of $75 million a year. He caught the attention of the FBI, and they ended up busting a truckload of marijuana that they tied back to George. In 1984, following the voice of his attorney, he pleaded guilty to multiple drug charges under the impression that he'd be expected to serve 40 to 50 months as the prosecution recommended. George, as a first-time nonviolent offender, was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The only way he was to leave prison was in a body bag. It was the longest prison term ever to be imposed on a first-time nonviolent offender in American history. While in prison, George was subjected to five years of underground solitary confinement and sentenced to Marion, the worst of the federal prisons. George served 32 years as a model prisoner and is only a free man due to President Obama's prison reform plan for drug offenders who had received harsh sentences. While in prison, George became a prolific writer, having authored over 31 books. He became a teacher behind bars and worked to take inmates out of gangs and into the classroom. As a teacher, he helped over 8,000 inmates earn their GED. He traded peanut butter for a man's life. He's also credited with preventing a hijacking of a Con Air aircraft by prisoners while flying from Philadelphia to Oklahoma for an appeal. George is now an inspirational speaker and an advocate for cannabis reform. He is also the owner of Hip Hemp Cafe, Philadelphia's first CBD lounge on 7th Street, just south of South. And it's a fascinating discussion that we hope you enjoy. Please tell your friends and family about the Philly Blunt if you enjoy what we're doing. Review and subscribe on whichever platform you consume this podcast so others can find us. And follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all as the Philly Blunt. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Philly Blunt. My name is Johnny Good Times. I'm Reef. Yo, this is Greg. And we are extremely excited about this week's guest. We have got the owner of the Hip Hemp Cafe, who has got a, a story to tell, unlike any other. Uh, we've we've interviewed a lot of interesting people through the last couple of years, and I got a feeling this guy is going to be uh, right there near the top of the list. George Martirano. George, welcome to the show. Welcome, George. Welcome, George. Okay, thank you guys, John Reef and uh, Greg, for having me. Uh, like they said, I'm George Martirano, <clears throat> owner of the Hip Hemp Cafe uh, on, uh, on uh, 7th Street, right before South. So uh, it's been an adventure. Uh, now, where, where, did you, where exactly in the city did you grow up? This is my neighborhood. Uh, uh, as we're speaking, we're sitting next, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're sitting next to uh, a well that's 200-year-old well in my establishment. It's the only establishment that has it in America. I can honestly say that. I thought you had an alligator or something. Yeah, but it's symbolic. It's <laughs> yes. symbolic because my dad, as a little boy, preteen, used to run pints for the bootleggers because the well was mm -hmm. adapted into a bootlegging operation. Mm -hmm. No kidding. So my dad made, made, a, made a little bit of money running pints. So this is definitely my neighborhood. Okay. Not right. this well. This well your dad did? well. Wow. If anybody's seen opening scenes of The Godfather where you've seen the horse and carriages and the hustle bustle in the street or the opening scene in the Once Upon a Time in New York, Okay, those uh, those uh, mob movies and etc. That's what this neighborhood was. It yes. wasn't Bella Vista back in the day. Yeah, yeah, it was the real deal. Right. What was that like? What was it like growing up around in this neighborhood? Well, you didn't know. It was, it was you didn't know until years went by. It was just a fascinating neighborhood. I mean, uh, 
if you wanted to work, there was always opportunity to work. You had to, after school, if you were a boy, you had the Italian market. You actually had two markets, one on the on second and Lombard area. It's called the well, New Market or something there. Then you had the Italian market, you know, the street that Rocky ran down in the first Rocky. So it's very ethnic. We had the we had many stables in this neighborhood, so the horse and wagons was a part of our life. Uh, I was 10 years old and I had a little business. I used to get ponies in the nice weather and, and, and have pony rides. So uh, and, uh, then we got a little older, we got more mischievous. <laughs> mm. And we used to uh, find out when there was a fire and we were kids and we go rent a wagon, horse and wagon for six bucks and try to sneak into the building to rob the, the copper. <laughs> so, funny, As it was on fire. No, we waited. We waited until it was done. All right. Done, but we knew and we used to rent a horse and wagon and there was places to take it right in the neighborhood, right on Bainbridge Street. You mm -hmm. could took the metal. So it was a win-win, you know. The horse, the horse and wagon was from the 700 block of Pemberton. Mm -hmm. And we went, did what we had to do. Anyway... <laughs> so we made our money, you know, made some good money. It was about five or six of us. We were all we were covered in soot. Mm -hmm. So we knew where to get wine. We knew that there was a couple old, old tying guys make their wine. And you had to wait for their light to come on in the basement. The row houses up the little streets had these little windows that cracked at the bottom, right, mm -hmm. near, the, right near the pavement. You tap on the window, and you, the old man would be there, and you give him a milk bottle. Back then, we were glass, and you give him 50 cents, and he fill it up with wine. And then we take the wine, and we drink it, right? Nice. Yeah. But we tired. We were up all night. <laughs> How old are you when you're doing this? I was 10. <laughs> wow. And uh, there was, anyway, I mean, stories are like that. But I think it paid off because it's a child. I knew you had to work if you wanted a couple bucks in your pocket. I'm not saying you should go out and do anything mischievous. Mm -hmm. But I also worked for the family business. If yeah. you wanted money in your pocket, you yeah. had to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Could you speak a little bit about that? I mean, obviously not in detail for obvious reasons, but what it was like growing up with a man like your father. You know, well, his, name, know his was, name holds I weight. I didn't know he was the mobster. You don't know your dad's the mobster until you get older and it's, it's too late. <laughs> it's <laughs> he too was late. a good man. He was a good man. Uh, he taught me a lot. My godfather taught me more, Angelo, Bruno, mm -hmm. you know. What was what was Bruno like? Very, very. Uh, un, it wasn't a flashy guy. He was a real family man, very business oriented. We were in business together, actually, in the vending business. Mm -hmm. And um, told me in, a lot. In vending, you said. Number one, one sentence that always I use today, and I pass on to the younger guys. Uh, <clears throat> I would say uh, I still say an excuse might be the truth, but it's still an excuse. Mm. So that's the kind of man he was. Yeah. Was he uh, soft-spoken? Oh, yeah. Never, I never heard him raise his voice. No. Mm -hmm. Never heard him raise his voice. And, and, and what was your father like? He was a family man. My father always had dinner with us at 6 o'clock. That was mandatory. Mm -hmm. He was a family man. So in the 1970s, I take it you were just you're working in vending in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, I never. I, I, my, my, in my marijuana business... 
I was only illegal for three years. Mm. I never even had a parking ticket. Because in the 70s, people, there wasn't much of a hang-up on it, right? Cause, so we interviewed, and I'm curious if, if you remember, if you've heard the name. We interviewed Larry Lavin. Have you heard oh, of Larry yeah, Lavin? yeah, yeah, Lavin. Uh, something with a dentist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, if you ever, uh, I, I like to say, to Sam, tell him I like to buy him a drink. Because uh, I, he went to Leavenworth when I was out on writ. I was out on writ for two and a half years, and then he got there, and I didn't get a chance to see him. Then when I got there, his security lowered, and he went to, I think, a medium. So, okay. Some I like to buy him a, buy him a, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever he wants. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you did you know him at all? Or did you know of him? I knew in- of him. I think I knew his attorney, and uh, I knew his code. I think. One is co-defendants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while you were moving the marijuana, he was moving cocaine. You yeah, guys yeah, didn't yeah. really, you, were, you were aware messed, of each other? It, it never messed with powder. I got hit with a couple of conspiracies concerning that from mm-hmm. informants saying this and that. I never got caught with a drug. Right. Never got caught with anything. It was mm-hmm. just conspiracies. What kept mm-hmm. me in for 32 plus years, half of my life, literally half of my life, was the marijuana count, CCE count. That would kept me in. That's yeah. the, the only way they can give me life, no parole, was under the marijuana count. Yeah. How do you feel about it now that it's become illegal that you spent half your life in jail for well, something funny that's... You, funny you say that. Yeah. Uh, Reef, uh, I started hearing about that when Colorado started going. Mm-hmm. And first I heard it in the visit room from my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And I scratched my head. I said, what? It's going to be so legally. And then... And then it grew, you know, more states is more states, so it's just, it's, but still people are still being arrested and put away for it. Right, There's right. still people uh, in prison for it, so right. I'm a, I work with Human Solutions, mm-hmm. that's a big advocate yep. movement for change that, mm-hmm. and, uh, and also, people have them, when they talk about prison, it's a guy thing. It's not. There's women suffering too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I always uh, been on many stages around the country. You know, people like my stories, but I, I must say honestly, better men than me have died in prison and women. Yeah. yeah. Taking it back just a minute, when you were, were you actually physically busted in a truck that had that was marijuana in the truck? Was that actually the the way it went down? No, never, never, never. Right, busted with anything. Never. Mm-hmm. Where do, there's only two cases in America that the government gave you the drugs and let you sell it and keep the money. My case, which is minute to uh, 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 Ricky Ross, Freeway mm-hmm. Ricky Ross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a whale. He was actually working for the, the CIA. Yeah. Or a clandestine division of the CIA mm-hmm. to, to get the the money to buy the arms for Contra. Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. So that, now that was the only two cases in America. Ricky did, I think he finally got out. He did about 2022, 20, he finally got out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did, the, my case was nothing. Yeah. And, and so you never technically got busted with anything. It was just no, people. No, they let sell it. Was, they bought weed three times up, which I had to have three over acts to create the 848. They brought the weed in. It was a lawyer working with another lawyer. And the lawyer knew my guys. And uh, I, they sold, we sold it. They sold it for a lot of money. I got my end. Don't get me wrong, I got my end. But they made us keep the money just to get me. 
Wow. How are you feeling as you're going to court? Because obviously you had no idea that this no, whopper's was coming, right? I was up and set out by my own lawyer. Mm-hmm. Wow. Prosecutor, they were working together because my lawyer was pending indictments. It was total, total. I'm thinking about suing yeah. because I found stuff after the fact that they they knew I have a brain, so they wanted me to die in prison so I wouldn't be on this podcast mm-hmm. with uh, good guys like you mm-hmm. because eventually I think I'm going to litigate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, why I want to litigate, I want to litigate for a dollar because I don't want it to happen again. <laughs> I got you. So when they uh, announced that you were going to get life, I mean, were you just a- were you- take us back to the courtroom? Were you just absolutely stunned? No, I was never never heard the word life. First, I was supposed to get ten, and then my lawyer and the judge was all in the newspapers together. They wanted to know what was the relationship. Because my never happened in the history of the courtrooms in America. So you you go to prison, and was that a harsh uh, when you first get there? I mean, is it is it were you just overwhelmed? I'm the first person ever in America to be designated to Marion. You don't get designated to Marion unless you're the Unabomber gets designated to Marion. I was a nonviolent first offender. You're there for if you killed another prisoner. Or you violent escape. If you kill somebody on the street and got life, you're going to Leavenworth for Lewisburg. But when you kill somebody in prison, you're going to marry. Marrying was solely to keep the worst to the worst. And a lot of people don't know a large percentage of those only 370 guys. A large percentage of those 300 were state prisoners, mm-hmm. states that didn't have maximum security prisons like Vermont, mm-hmm. New Hampshire, Montana. They had some crazy guys. So they would, state would pay Bureau of Prisons, Federal Bureau, to keep them, house them. So I show up, and I literally had more time than the whole 370. I had, my sentence was released upon death in a body bag. Everybody else was parolable. I don't care if they had a thousand years or they had life or multiple lives for bodies. They were still eligible by law to see the parole board in 10 years. And then in, in the interim, interim. Intervals two years after that. So they can go to pro board for two years till they die. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even enter the room. Wow. And I was a nonviolent first offender. And how old are you now when you're first entering jail? At the time? Yes. Uh, 31. Jeez. 31 and then 32 when I got to life, no parole. And, uh, so you went straight to Marion? Straight, that was the first prison that you ever well, stepped I, foot I, in? I was in a hole in MCC, New York. Anything back then days, anything over 30 years, you went to the hole after you came back. And since, but i already been in the hole, so it wasn't nothing new. Anyway, uh, so I get up. Late at night, a lieutenant I know. Heck was his name. Good, good old man. <laughs> and he said, he said, George, George, what? You're going to the bottom of the barrel. That's what you're talking about. You're going to marry him, man. That's the bottom of the barrel, man. Get a hold of your lawyer. That's the first time I ever heard the word. Because we always heard of, I figured I was going to get Lewisburg or Leavenworth or Atlanta, where I had a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. My, a lot of my dad's friends, anyway. And uh, I wind up the only Italian in 370 guys. So that's why I also I wanted to leave a good, uh, you know, 
If any other Italian young guy go there, you know, I want to leave the right, leaving the right light. Yeah. So when they show up. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, you have to, you know, you know, if I was uh, the jail's very, uh, it's like killers turn high school mm. kids again. So it's very predatory, very violent, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the Lord. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. By going there and being with the worst of the worst, especially the gangs, absolute shot callers. They did a big documentary on the Aryan Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Barry Mills, he just died last month, and the uh, Mexican Mafia. They did a movie, American Me. Yeah, and uh, and. Uh, these are all those guys. These are who you locked up and with. The DC. Yeah. See, people don't know the DC. The DC blacks were just as tough as all of them. Mm-hmm. DC guys, they'll fight anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I became friends with all these guys. So when I went to wherever I went, word was always sent. Yeah. So I got. Plus, I knew all the Italians. So I got my respect was there before I got there. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get involved in any negativity because I was always appealing, and um, no one did the things that I did in prison in the, in a, as a teacher, mentor to today. Yeah. No one. No. Did you get pressure or feel pressure to join a gang while you were in there? No, no, no. I used to try to get them out of the gang, get them into the classroom. No. Mm. I just had, you know, your reputation precedes you in a good light. Yeah. Even in a in a place that. Vicious, being a good dude, still carried uh, weight? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I was a man. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all in the eye contact. I was a man. Yeah. So, you know, when you go to Marion, you first thing you put in your head, you, you got to forget about everything. You just got to live. live. Yeah. Stay alive. Right. So you can't, even, can't even, you, know, you turn your appeals over to your lawyer and hope you win, but otherwise you just better stay alive. Mm-hmm. But I've been uh, for, I saved many lives over the years. Yeah. First life I saved was I had to save a guy's life. I had to pay jars of peanut butter for weeks. Because peanut butter was a big thing in lockdown. You only get one jar a week. Mm-hmm. And this guy, Ray, he made some, made a little wine for himself in a cell, and he yells out, "Merry Christmas, Christmas mm-hmm. Eve." So I get out for my hour wreck, and I always used to run the cell block, and then do a little, then get my shower. You know, you got to run the cell block. So, and I hear these two two gangs going to kill them. Hmm. They're they're going to kill them. Hmm. One said, "You owe us this killing. You got to do it." And uh, and I let them talk, and then I start talking to one guy, and then he. Then I talked to a few guys, and I made a deal. They wanted 12 jars of peanut butter. That's four. <laughs> Three months, I don't have freaking peanut butter. Right. right now, I got it down to like seven or eight, I forget. Right. Wow, for a man's life. For a man's yeah. life. Seven yeah. jars of peanut butter yeah, for a man's so, life. Yeah, but I talked right in front of his cell with him there. I said, you shut up. Shut up. I'm trying to save your life. Yeah. And then when they walked away, and I told him, I said, Ray, if you say Happy New Year, you get drunk and you say Happy New Year, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> why, why did the Merry Christmas anger people so much? You know, they, they, you got to understand, these guys been in jail since they're juveniles. You know, it's nothing worse than looking into the eyes where there's nothing behind them. Yeah. Nothing. And I've seen that. 
when I first got to Marion and I said to myself, either I'm going to become, you know, when you go to those common places, there's two things that happen. You either become beast or better. Mm. Beast or better. And I said, I'm not going to become beast, so even better. Mm. Yeah. Good stuff. How, how, but, uh, yeah, but how? How, how do you... How do you make that decision and then follow through on it? Because I, I would assume that the, the energy in there is pretty... I always pretty... talk sense. I always gave good advice. So a lot of times there was beefs I interacted, you know. It was like... The, the... Did your father's reputation carry weight oh, yeah, there? yeah, they knew him every so day. So they, they, they knew if something happened they, to they you. They knew him in a long john. They name him, nobody he'll find him. His name would come up at a county jail in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> so did that, did that give you a little bit of, did that help you out? Oh, yeah. In yeah. terms of guys wouldn't mess with you because they knew yeah, they weren't, no they didn't want to. thing is helping you out. Sooner or later, you got to stand your own yeah. two feet. Sure. Yeah, for sure. 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 So, you know, sooner or later, you stand your own two feet. For sure. How did you keep your wits about you? Because I know uh, I have family, I have a cousin in particular, he did like seven, eight years. He ain't been right since he came home. I think it cracked him. How do you stay strong well, I, with that know, much I'm time? Physically and mentally busy. I know uh, I was a teacher, a mentor, like I said before, and I had no, numerous classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just keep mentally. I, I think I still have, I still, uh, you know, after 20 years, everyone has some institutionalization in them. Yeah. I do. Uh, sometimes I just have to be by myself. And, uh, you know, you just... I just got to get away. Yeah. A lot of times I'll be, like tonight, after this, I might go to the train station. Hmm. You know, take a train somewhere, stay at a little boutique hotel, meet people. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to get away. Yeah, I got you, man. I understand. Is there, do you think you have a greater appreciation for being able to do that than probably most people do? The fact that you can go to the train station and, oh, yeah, and go somewhere like the cage, you know, I, I never thought I would, you know, I swallowed the that I was never getting out. I always had an appeal in, but in the back of my mind, I had to swallow. You know, you can you're going to die in here, so I was going to die and leave my children a legacy that can't be compared. So, and I did that. Yeah. Which prison did you do the all the solitary in? Because it was it was it five it years was almost straight. You got to understand the Supreme Court decision under Robert Strauss, who is the Birdman of Alcatraz. You cannot be sentenced and be and do your time in the hole unless you did an infraction. Mm. I did not never had an infraction in thirty two plus years. My record is stellar. Right. So to make it legal, what they did, they had to keep moving me. Because my sentence uh, okay, was life now, no on, parole, yeah, okay. which is a maximum security sentence. Yeah. This evil prosecutor had the right to keep moving me. He would say, we want to move because pending an investigation in Philly. Yeah. Because when I went away, the war was still going on. So people were dying. So a guy would get killed downtown, and the, this prosecutor would use that to his advantage and say, we need Martirano locked up for investigation. They did that, but in 1992, it had to stop. Because the courts mm-hmm. stopped that. Right. So, so they, they would just keep putting you in. Well, it's it, one it, thing to tell you I'm going to die in jail. Another one's now you want to keep punishing me. So it was definitely, that's why I want to contemplate lawsuit. Yeah, mm-hmm. you right. should, they, man. Yeah. yeah. Is We're, that prosecutor still alive? Yeah, he's. Because I'll go, I'm going to go see him <laughs> for you, man. Yeah. yeah. Right. He works for, uh, works for an insurance company. But like I said, I'm contemplating. I don't hate him. 
Really? I don't hate anyone. No, yeah. because if you come out with hate yeah. in your heart or chip on your shoulder, you're going back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can't help the people that you, your loved ones, that they need you now. Yeah. Yeah. That's not helping them if you're going to go back. Right. And no, I, I never threatened any, any, mm. any, any law enforcement, mm. any project. I was a complete gentleman. Right. Yeah, he falsified documents on me. Yeah. Wow. He falsified documents. How yeah. did you? How did you keep your sanity? I mean, just being there by yourself for that many years. How did you keep yourself from I, losing? Right. You read. You exercise. You communicate with voices through the vent. You know. Mm. You get to talk to a guy. Yeah, I heard you. You, in a TED talk you did, I think you talked about how there was a guy on the other end of the vent that you had a back and forth with at one of the prisons. Oh, I had many back and forths over the prisons, many, many. Well, you were well, you, were they pressing you for information into the Philadelphia Mafia while they're keeping you in solitary they and stuff? They never bother me. They know some guys ain't going to tell them nothing. So they they never bother. Even when my my poor dad was shot up in uh, in an ambush, they never even came to me and hmm, asked yeah. me anything. You found out about that while you were locked up. Yeah, yeah, I was actually teaching one of my classes when I got called to the staff's office, and I too. So I, I went through a lot of loss. You know, I lost my son, motorcycle accident in 201, hmm. the mother, 2000, the cancer, and then my father in 202. So I had my share of mourning in the cell. Yeah, I had my share, and anybody. And that's got to be just. That's got to be. Make the mourning process even yeah. tougher because you're not around family when that yeah, stuff happens. Yeah, no, no, you got to. When I lost my boy, I was in a bad place in Texas <laughs> called Bloody Beaumont. I mean, bad. But I, I always worked with the psychology and lifestyle change courses. Mm-hmm. Even though the prison was bad, I tried to do the best I could mm-hmm. because all people in the Bureau of Prisons are not bad people. Right. I have a lot of respect for the psychology department of any prison. They really, really try to mm-hmm. make a difference. So, and then uh, I heard about it, my lost my boy, and I went to a hillbilly buddy of mine, I told, go give me a gallon of moonshine. <laughs> no, half gallon. Yeah. He brought me a half gallon of moonshine, white lightning, about 80 proof. And, uh, and I'm a runner. I was a runner before prison, during prison, to today I run. Mm-hmm. I run 50, 60 miles a week. And uh, and uh, I just you know got up very early as soon as they cracked the yard, and ran till they closed the yard, which was about two hours. Come back, eat a little, sip, sip the morning. Then in the evening, same thing, run the yard. That's how I mourn. Yeah, I just had to, I had to be tired. Right, right. right. You go yeah, mad. Right. What are you going to do? You're looking at four wolves, and your son's gone. Yeah, I'm sorry. So. Man. And they guess what? The guards, you're not allowed to have booze in your cell, but the guards left me alone because mm-hmm. they know I'm not going to drunk and fight. Right. So everyone, even the warden told the staff, make, can make all the calls he wants. Yeah. So, and, I, and the warden approved, first time in the history of the Bureau of Prisons, I did my dad's eulogy via prison to the funeral pile of Pennsylvania Berries. Wow. Did you call in on the phone? Yeah, we yeah. did it. We, they had it when it was on the speaker end of the funeral, in the funeral park. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, man. Is booze, red, can you get booze pretty easy when you're in there? Oh, yeah. Well, the, the guys, the drug, the guys that are, uh, are addicts are the guys that make the booze because they have to pay the dope bill. Right. So the guys, that are addicts, make the booze to pay the dope bill. It's just, it's a, 
sad. You can't you can't keep drugs out of prison. You can't stop a guy from being an alcoholic. Right. So we look at our incarceration system needs to be fine tuned. Now don't get me wrong. You know, there's people that belong there. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. There's animals that belong there, but there's a lot that have that don't have to be there. We don't have anything in place to look at people in this state, Pennsylvania, at all. Yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to ask you about, too, just in general with the war on drugs. I mean, you saw it firsthand, both from your sentence, and I'm sure once you went there, seeing so many nonviolent offenders. How how did that affect sort of your own personal view about what the... Because the war on drugs has obviously been fairly catastrophic for the United States, I think, as a whole. And I think most people, not everybody, but most people would agree with that. How did how did being in prison during that time when so many people are being locked up for non... We had nothing non- to work with. We really had nothing to work with. You had to do your own pro bono appeals, uh, uh, which... Uh, one out of a thousand makes it to a court. Maybe one, maybe more than that. I mean, less than that. I mean, you just, it was nothing there. But then uh, they realized under the Obama administration that this wasn't working. And that's when the word reentry started. We have to get, we have to have a back door. There was no back door. Mm-hmm. And um, they came to me and they asked me to get involved in these reentry lifestyle change courses. I mean, if the guy got his GED, what do you do with him? You know, there was no Pell Grants anymore. Mm-hmm. The Pell Grants came out of the federal system. So we, we, at one time, college, community colleges came into the prison and supplied the professors. So after your GED, there's only way, only way you can go to college was distant learning, and that's expensive. Distant learning program could run you eight, nine hundred bucks. Where's it? Where's an MA going to get that? Right. So I did the best I could. Like I said, I graduated, it's documented, I graduated over 8,000 inmate students. And my classes that I designed the curriculum for never been done in the history of the world. So that's what I'm curious about is like you're doing all this great stuff, you're helping people. That didn't count for anything for you? Towards the end, like I said, Obama said that they realized that um, I was growing more popular and more popular. Mm -hmm. And then I saved the kind of hijacking in 210. Yeah, we want to get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's not just gloss over that. <laughs> Tell that story. And we just had a big hearing in Philly, a loss, of course, again. So I'm going from point A to point B. That would mean point A to point B to get back to where I was. I had to go from Philly to Oklahoma Transit Center. And on the way to Oakland, Oklahoma Transit Center, I was in the back of the plane, very back section but it was about 12 of us back there and um, I felt movement around my feet I'm tired you know because when I know I'm flying out I try to stay up mm. all night I'm the same way push I ups. sleep right on yeah. that plane I'm yeah. sleeping mm-hmm. I felt something around my feet and I looked down I don't have my glasses and I thought it looked like a pen what the hell's a pen doing out there and there was a guy that I knew. It was a Philly guy and a New York guy. And he says, there's something at your bottom of your seat. Them guys behind you are trying to get it with their feet, their toes, because you got leg irons in your handcuff. And they're trying to, they slipped off their bus shoes and they're trying to grab this. And I look and I said, oh my God, it was a handcuff key. In prison, they don't have little handcuff keys. They're about three inches long with a grip. They're called speed keys. They're, they're dual 
dual in play, that means you can unclick your leg iron and your handcuff. Same key. So it's called the speed key. <laughs> these were some Mayan pirates behind me. Didn't know English too well. They all were probably sentenced to severe sentences, probably life. But they don't understand. You're not coming out of leg irons or handcuffs at a prison transfer in America. You are not. Right. You have three marshals with laser scope sidearms. And then you have another six marshals that are not armed, but these three marshals are expert shots. If you hold the camp, if you hold the handcuff key, you will be killed. If the handcuff falls next to the guy next to you, he will be killed. No one's getting near a handcuff. If you make eye contact with a handcuff, you will be killed. That's the protocol, and I know it. Right. These guys don't know it. So I wrestled with them. I finally got the key. Now I'm holding the key. Oh, I know shit. I'm going to be dead. Right. They're not going to take a chance. Mm -hmm. They're going to kill everyone around this key. And it was a perfect killing field because it was only 12 of us. It was like the, the galley where they feed. Mm -hmm. The galley was there, and then it was a little narrow, and then it was mm -hmm. us. So I got it in my hand, and I seen one spot that I can put it where these guys couldn't get reached with their feet. I said, I got one shot, and I threw it and it landed right in his groove. And then I, when I called the marshal, I said, get your key. And I, all hell broke loose. They have this called, uh, it's a, I don't know what the hell they call it, it's like a roll. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, when you roll up a fire hose on that. Oh, roll, yeah, 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 the well, holder. They got a Velcro roll. Mm -hmm. And the end of it is Velcro, and they just tap it, it sticks, and then they wrap you around your seat. Right. They tap your seat, <laughs> so it, it grips, and then they wrap you right, around. Right. So I'm there hogtied, and then they put a mast over my head. I know what's going to happen. Thank God I didn't, I didn't have to go to the bathroom, because I wasn't getting up. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be the first one off the plane. And sure enough, I was the first quarterman, and the FBI is waiting for me. So uh, all I told the FBI, I said, just interview the, the, I couldn't, I didn't know names, just interview who, who was the seats behind me. Yeah. I know they're going to get conflicting interviews, but I know they're going to find the two guys that told them the right story. Right. And that's, I stood in the whole couple of days. And the FBI said, well, we know the story now, Mark Toronto. And uh, they let me out. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I want a document so I can give them my, my wording. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll mm -hmm. have it sent. Yeah. No, we'll have it put in your travel dossier. Mm -hmm. Never was there. But anyway, it took me four years with the help of your prison, like I said, mm -hmm. a lot of them. <clears throat> good people. Mm -hmm. We were in prison because it was a different department. It was right. the air marshals. Right, 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 right. Government people don't work together. No. Mm -hmm. Took him four years to get the report. Mm -mm -mm. Wow. And that was a deciding factor. And then I just, then the, I'm out of prison and I had to communicate. I knew a thing, something good might be coming. And so I had to communicate with my family on the visiting days. And I had to communicate with my lawyer. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, two gangs are ready to go to war. 
And I know where that happens. When that happens, all visits stop. We could be locked in a month or two months. And I said, I don't mind them going to war, but I don't want them killing each other. So I went and bought all the knives from both sides. (laughs) So they had, I actually turned in a sack of knives. Didn't give any names. Stack of shanks. Mm. Cost me money, too. I had to pay for them. (laughs) And they didn't, they went to war, but they didn't kill each other. Right. Right. They beat each other. They beat up. each other up, and nobody got stabbed. Yeah. Maybe a few blocks in the head, but nobody <laughs> dead. Yeah. Jesus. So the lieutenant I was working, she let me write a report. I said, No, no. He said, I'm not mentioning no names. I'm just going to tell you, you, you took, you stopped people from killing you. Guards mm-hmm. could have been killed in me. So that was another deciding factor. So things just fell in line. Right. And then they couldn't. And my lawyer was showing them the reports and say, How can you keep them in anymore? Right. Right. He saved numerous lives, right. many times. Yeah. So, what was the what was the day that you finally you finally knew you were getting out? How was that for you? I found out on October twelfth. What year is this? Two two thousand fifteen. Okay. I found out it's seven thirty in the evening. Matter of fact, my lawyer was calling for a couple hours, and mm-hmm. I. I I had to graduate a class that night mm-hmm. over in the education department. Mm-hmm. I figured, right, when I get back, mm-hmm. I'll make a cup of tea and I'll call him. And I call him <laughs> and he says, are you standing up? I says, yeah, we all, there's no shares near the phone. I'm standing up. <laughs> and he says, I have your release order here for Monday. Wow. I said, okay. What day is this? And he started yelling, don't you understand? I says, listen. Until I'm walking out. I'm out the door, <laughs> it'll happen. Right, right. So I, I really didn't don't, didn't dawn on me. Didn't dawn was on it me. like a Friday when he called you and said Friday it's Monday? Evening. Yeah. So, and I had to go to work because right then we had, it's called two-point reduction law, uh, that I wasn't qualified for, but I had a few old-timers in their 80s. Mm. They were procrastinating, put in their motion. It's a standard motion. Mm. I wanted to get them reduction. I wanted to get them home. So... I had to actually cram to make these motions, get them in the mail for these two old timers. I got one out, the other poor guy died in. So I had to get that done. I said, oh, let me get that done. Then I finally got that done. I worked all day. First you have to write it out, get it tight, mm-hmm. put it in envelopes, put the stamps on it, you know, make yeah, copies. Right. That's not easy in prison. Right, it's a lot to do. Finally got it all done. I said, you know what? I finally can think about me. And then the gay community. Mm-hmm. Back then, there was something going around the country with the gays. Positive. Mm-hmm. In 2015. I forget what it was. Mm-hmm. And the gay community, they wanted to have a gay day in the yard. Mm-hmm. I said, look at this. I got to get hit with this one. So I said, well, okay, go put a Go type it out, put a proposal, exactly what you want, because you actually, you bring it to the lieutenant's office and they give you a permit. And they make food, and they buy soda, mm-hmm. have music out there. Yeah. I figured I ain't going to hear them no more. Right. They was here Sunday morning, but they're all typed out and ready to go. Yeah, yeah. So I had to go to the lieutenant, a friend of mine, not a friend of mine, he was a professional like me, because mm-hmm. he knew me 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I gave him, he says, George, you're going home. What are you bothering with this for? 
You're going home. I said, what, what am I going to do? Right. So I got them to permit. And then and that's when I, after I got done with the lieutenant, it was Sunday, about one or two in the afternoon, and the compound was closed. So he, you, then he radios that I'm coming across the compound in my cell block. And I was going across compound I just stopped and I start crying yeah I realized I finally had time to think about right, me right <laughs> right you spent yeah. yes he's so. almost like Monday I'm gonna need till Wednesday I'm gonna have to stay here till Wednesday I got a lot of stuff to yeah, handle well, that's what I, I gotta organize I, yeah. a pride event yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta get these two guys their sentences reduced I mean I had no time <laughs> gotta I buy just, some knives back yeah I had no time to think, and then I never held a cell phone till that Monday. Right. They weren't invented when I went away. Yeah. And I'm on the highway Jesus going to my Christ. sister's. She only lived about an hour, a little over an hour away in St. Pete. I was in jail in Central Florida. And I got two cell, cell phone in the left hand and right hand, and mm-hmm. I'm talking to everybody and anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the first thing you ate? Oh, uh, that, my was sister, a blunt, that was a blunt question for me, man. Yeah. Me and my lawyer, we ate. For two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. And uh, because you got 48 hours to turn into the probation department. And this is good for people like Blunts out there because mm-hmm. I'm a believer. I was in jail 32 plus years. And I went into a government building. I wasn't going to go to the particulars, but I talked to a certain government official and I said, if you're going to give me your analysis, Take me back. Mm. I was only out of jail two days. And I didn't stand up. I wasn't sitting when I said I was standing. Mm. I said, if you're going to give me your analysis, take me back. He left the room. He went and talked to somebody. He came back. He says, no, we're not. Martirana, we're not giving you your analysis. Then I sat down. Mm. I go, take me back. Mm-hmm. I did 32 plus years. My prison rock. Plenty of weed in the joint, but I never smoked because right. I didn't want to use my credibility. Right. Right. My credibility was getting people home. Yeah. There's many, many of my my uh, students that went in front of judges with positive program and got reductions and came home. So I don't want to. I don't want to lose that because when you when you lost everything, the only thing you have you might be able to in the court might be able to get in the court if you showed that you really really been programming yeah yeah did you have any um a lot of guys when they're first coming home especially ones doing long stretches it almost feels like they don't i don't want to say want to leave but did you kind of know like the, where life was going to start like how what was oh, your I plan know. i didn't know yeah. I, I i did my acclimation to freedom mm-hmm. in st pete florida i mm-hmm. didn't want to come back to philly i think philly would have been a little too overwhelming yeah mm-hmm. so i st pete my sister down there very quiet you know i was on the beaches the trails yeah, yeah. you know just staying by myself yeah. and, you know what was the hardest thing for you for you to get used to sleeping in a bed mm. i i couldn't sleep in a bed i slept in a tent for almost three months in my sister's yard wow. i just didn't want to be inside i i just wanted that sam had a flap and i looked up at the stars yeah. That's how I slept for three months until that storm came. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to breathe and that fresh the air. The was flipping through the yard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how'd you end up back in Philly? Mom, my mom wasn't feeling well. and yeah. I had to come back and look after mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was there for me, so <clears throat> yeah. I had to come back. Beautiful. And when was that? I got back here 
2006, late 2016. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then when did you decide to start this place? Well, uh, uh, we owned the building, and there was a store here, and the lease came up, mm. and the guys left. <laughs> I like the guy, so. so I said, you know what? I really notice CBD industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been speaking on stages about it. I knew everybody in the industry. Everybody knew me. And I said, I opened up. And, but I opened up for two reasons. Number one is to help people first, because we got a lot of people coming through the door emotionally, physically ill. CBD, I believe, it helps people in that way. Yeah. And then also to make make a living. Did we name the place? I don't even know. The Hip Hep Cafe. Yeah, yeah. We right. announced Hep-Hep them when we first started. Com. Yeah. Yeah. That's the coolest name. We're yeah, brand- we, we, we make <laughs> We make products under Hip Hep. We have our own coffee, Hip Hep Coffee. We have the Grow Father. I'm the Grow Father, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I love that name, man. Yeah, it's going to be, you're going to hear that name a lot. <laughs> Grow Father. And we make a G period Martorano brand. Uh, we get all quality stuff. I won't. I'm no gas station selling CBD. I'm not going to sell something cheap and sell it high. No, we have quality stuff. The word around the neighborhood and town is that this is the best CBD yeah, that we, anyone's ever had. We're not. We're I'm, not. I'm feeling. I feel very. But well, you're all relaxed. miserable. You came in. Look, yeah, you're all relaxed yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was having a rough day, brother, and I'm feeling a lot better right now. Uh, when, when did you first learn about the benefits of it? Well, uh, uh, John, when I. When I got out of prison, I was booked all over the country. Conventions, THC, mostly THC, California, Florida. And I started learning about CBD. I didn't know what it was. And I, but I shied away from the suit and tie guys, the entrepreneur young guys. I went to, I like to get around mothers that started little companies. Some of them grew to be nice companies, bigger companies today. Because your mother's not going to lie to you. When mm-hmm. you look at a mother's eyes, and I said, there's something here. Yeah. And that's how I learned. I went, stood with the women who mm-hmm. made little batches in their kitchen to yeah. help their child, and some of them on, and they told me about the CBD. Smart. So, so Kevin, it's, we're sitting in the back room here. You have a, um, an, uh, like an electric chair. As a decoration, I'm wondering, like, what is the? Uh... That's a made. That's real oak. It's the same uh, wood that they use to make electric chair. You can buy an electric chair online. Incidentally, the <laughs> most expensive one was thirty thousand because it killed 150 people. Jesus, I wasn't going to buy anything. Sick, man. That <laughs> society used to take lives, right. whether the guy deserved it or not. But they tried to give me the electric chair in 1984. The judge, my judge, now actually called around for moving marijuana. Lawyer, yes, he wanted to what? execute me. He said what? I was treasonous to the country for bringing mar- drugs into Philadelphia, which was marijuana. Hmm. He wanted to execute me. Uh, all right, we want to take it to the blunt. Let's sure. do it. All right, so this is just rapid-fire questions, just rapid answers. So we're just going to throw stuff at you, and uh, you just hit us back with first thing that pops in your mind. Uh, favorite style of food? Italian. Where's your favorite place to run in the city? Along the river, over the bridge. Okay. Favorite book? Ah, uh, Huckleberry Finn. Mm. 
All right, we said we said favorite food Italian. What's the best Italian restaurant in the city? You think? Shalom. Shalom. Son of a bitch. Uh, just a quick sentence or advice you give to someone about to start a long stretch that may be listening to this because I do have a few friends that are facing some time. Uh, it's time to really get smart. Get first, you have to get real patient and real smart. Patience and you'll get out. You can get out of any mess, but you got to be real patient, real smart. Cool. Learn the law. Learn the law. Learn the law. Mm-hmm. I'm sticking with my question. Is the saloon the coolest restaurant overall in Philadelphia? Yeah, because the owner's a dear friend of mine, very dear friend mm-hmm. of mine, and the saloon's like part of my house. Yeah. Funny, I was away 32 plus years, and it's actually eerie. It's like a Twilight Zone situation because... I come out of prison. I walked in a saloon. Nothing. <laughs> nothing was changed. Nothing very was few, moved. very few places are like that anymore. Nothing yeah. was moved. I go to my house. And my mom. Nothing was moved. <laughs> everything was in the same place in the house, and everything was. I went outside and sat on my bench. I said, I can't believe this because I went to the saloon first, and then I came home. I can't believe it. Nothing. Nothing was. Nothing was moved out of place. <laughs> What did you most miss about Philadelphia when you were gone? Oh, so many things. So many things. Basically just family that mm-hmm. I was close with. Little things, you know, when you when I was crazy then three years with them, you know, try to be a you know, go fancy places and this and that, but you miss the little things. Yeah. I mean, going for a walk after you had dinner and go one of the Time breakers and buy a cannoli, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the little yeah. things, just the little things. Yeah. What is your oh? No, you're yeah. What is your preferred method of intaking the the plant, or do you? I'm an old school flower guy. I just smoke. Yeah. I'm an old school. Okay. I don't like the. So a joint, a bowl. I or? don't like the stuff that's too strong. Okay. No. But uh, whatever. Just some good small. I love. I like sativa in the morning mm-hmm. <laughs> because I run. I'm a vivid runner. I run all my appointments. Yeah. I run to Center City, University City, South Philly, mm-hmm. Deep North Philly. I run to all my appointments. That's incredible, man. Sometimes 10, 12 miles a day. I just yeah. love it. But yeah. And then, then the course of the day is all. Then I go get my evening, uh, my afternoon and evening attire, and then more meetings, and yeah. then I do CBD, mm-hmm. a glass of wine, but. There's some sativa, boy. They'll make you run 100 miles. Yeah. <laughs> Sativa's good for that, yeah. Are you, a, are you a fan of plastic covers on furniture? My mom was. Yeah, old school Italian. <laughs> That's old school Italian I, I don't know. I never was a fan <laughs> of that. Those are the worst. My grandma always had it on. Yeah, you know. Never, never was a fan of that. <laughs> uh, what song makes you want to dance? Oh, Christ. I'm a doo-wop guy. I love doo-wop. I love do uh, what is uh what's your advice on love love uh, it's difficult I, like I said I'm, I, I have institutionalization within mm. my mental factors yeah I'm not crazy it's just hard no it's hard because you just you never I was away from it so long I mm. do date there's mm. some wonderful women out there very wonderful <laughs> women but uh you can't hit a moving target. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. We got all the jewels, yeah, man. I like that. So uh, I, I read that you do yoga, or you like yoga, have done yoga? Yeah, I was a yoga instructor. Do you have a fa- give us your favorite yoga pose. 
ah, downward dog. That's good for the lower mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. You want to get that in. I do that between every every movement. I'll go down and do a downward yeah. dog. Yeah. So yoga is very important. Upper body is very important. I, you know, the body, you take care of the body. The body takes care of you. Mm-hmm. What's what's on your bucket list? Oh, jeez. <sighs> keep going. My bucket list is basically just keep going, become more. Po- I want my brand to be worldwide. The only way I can do that is get more popular in the entertainment industry. My name has to be household word. If mm-hmm. Once that happens, I believe the industry, the marketing is going to be face recognition marketing on the products all the products now are just a label right so you're going to have some big players coming in movie stars and mm-hmm. sports stars so mm-hmm. this is my year I, I believe this is the year that yeah. I, I can have my it's going to be 30 billion dollar industry yeah another two years a year and a half so i'm trying to get a small niche in it again it's not about me it's about helping others mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh um are you are you finally sleeping in the bed yeah yeah, I, I, when I never, I loved it, but when, like I said, a bad storm came, mm-hmm. and me and the tent was actually flipping in the air. Yeah, and I never forget my sister Marion. She's at the back door in the house in her little furry slippers, <laughs> and she said, "Enough with the tent." <laughs> uh, do you go? Uh, do you say Capicola or Gabagool? I Gabagool. Yeah, my man. You, 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 Reef earlier asked you what advice you had for somebody going in. What advice do you have for somebody coming out? Mm, cool. I just hope you're prepared. I hope you educated yourself in, in any manner. And I'm not talking about books. You know, education is so broad. You know, no, you, once you, once you, first you have to understand yourself and then you can educate yourself. There's some, a lot of good opportunities you can come out. They'll educate you in many different fields, but you got to go put the time in. Yeah, uh, this is my last one. Um, did you did you keep all your letters? I have stuff in storage all over the damn country. Mm. Yeah, I got stuff in storage. Mm. But you kept it. You didn't. No, no. Yeah. I, I, my I used, cousin got rid of it. He threw everything. No, away. I say yeah. I used to send. I used to get letters from all over. You know, I made myself known to the right, world right. from a cell. It's right. not easy right. with hard copy. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's not easy. I had a little town, Gavinou, in France, that used to post. <laughs> I used to write a letter mm-hmm. in English, and they used to translate it and wow. pin it all over the town, my story, <laughs> fictional stuff. So I made myself known to the world. Right. So there's so, just because you're in a cell, you can, yeah. you can get assistance if mm-hmm. you're true to yourself. Yeah, yeah. True to yourself. Uh, what advice would you give 25-year-old George? Me? Yeah. 25-year-old George? To... Like the vending business more because I could have been very big in the vending business. But they had me working since I was like 15 or 16, lugging jukeboxes and pinballs and pool tables up, down, stairs. So I just got tired of, you know, I should have liked the business more. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I think I'm pretty much, I think we're pretty much good to go. What was the toughest, what was the toughest stretch you ever did? What was the toughest prison that you were ever in? What I had to be uh, when they kept me in the dark, and I don't know if you know what a boxcar cell is. Incidentally, my documentary will be shooting in three different prisons. Okay. Uh, I think that has to be relayed. Boxcar cells have been condemned. They're very vicious. They were actually condemned in the 60s or 50s, but they some prisons had them, and I was thrown in them. And that's a double door, steel door. 
and a light went out. One single light went out. And they left it there for two weeks. So in the dark, you, you think fighting madness? The dark, dark is cruel than being beaten. <laughs> so that was the toughest. That was in a East St. Louis, some obscure jail in East St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Do you do you do you have a theme song? I like so many doo wop songs. <laughs> You gotta hang out. Are you friends with Jerry Blavitt? Yeah, Jerry. Yeah. Jerry, I go. We had him on a show uh, a couple weeks ago. Way, way back, ago. Jerry. Yeah, he looks good for his age. God bless him. Yeah, yeah. He's not as good as you. Would. Yeah, I mean, he dresses. He dresses well. <laughs> you know, he uh, he uh, still works. Oh, he's still moving constantly. We were we were interviewing him. He's got a phone. He's he's answering phone calls and texting everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, keeping busy mentally keep and physically. Busy. He gotta works keep out. Busy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you too. Yeah, yeah. You gotta keep mentally and physically going. Yeah, guys are inspirations, man. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah, for your time. Yeah, thank for this. thank you. you guys, and uh, tell your friends about the hip hop. Absolutely. Cafe. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate thank you. so much. Yeah, appreciate thank it. you guys. Yeah. Just the sound of Philadelphia. Covered in blood, the man's office is covered in bugs, the youth dreams cut short, swept